Morning, friends. Uh, great to worship with you this morning. Uh, for those of you watching online, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City. And whether you're joining from newlife.nyc or Facebook or YouTube, uh, it's a joy to worship with you in this place. Uh, Lord, can't turn off that car alarm, Lord. Uh, I thought I turned off for a second. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, pray for us as we get uh, uh, try to fig- figure that thing out here. Um, Amen. Uh, the spirit is moving. I feel it in this room. Holy Spirit. Um, before I get into our message, uh, tomorrow is Indigenous Peoples Day, and we'll be joining uh, many around this country in celebrating um, this holiday. Uh, in last week's sermon, I, I think I, it was a great connection to what's happening tomorrow in that it's a great time to give ourselves to prayer and reflection, you know, uh, as I preached about racial reconciliation, it requires us to be honest about our past and how our past shapes our present and uh, impacts our future. Uh, and so it's a day to reflect on uh, this uh, important uh, holiday. Moreover, it's, it's a day to highlight the, the presence and uh, the gifts of uh, First Nations people, uh, Native American people who first stewarded this land. And as I think more about Queens and New York, you know, the, the tribes that lived here in the state were the Rockaway and the Matinecock and the Maspeth tribes. Uh, and uh, I just discovered a few years ago that Rockaway, just that name didn't just come out of nowhere, uh, that there's a history here. And that these were people who lived here and fished here and hunted here and had children here. And, and it's an opportunity for us to recognize this history and this presence. And so tomorrow, I'd encourage you, go on YouTube and, and, and research uh, the First Nations and Native American people who, who lived in New York. And let's just expand our horizons as we think about history and how history impacts our lives today and how these people were removed from this land and all the rest. And so we have an opportunity and invitation to cherish the gifts as well as to remember our collective past. And so um, join me in doing that. Today we're continuing our series on the deeply formed life, which is uh, me over giving an overview of the five values of New Life Fellowship Church. And the, if you're coming to New Life, if you're new here, this is a great opportunity for you to hear about our values. And if you've been coming to New Life for a while, if you're watching and you've been coming for a while, or if you're new, it's a great opportunity to express and hear about the kind of community that God has called us to be and how we want to follow Jesus in this particular context. Our first week was on contemplative rhythms and what it means to slow down to be with God. Last week we focused on racial reconciliation that in Jesus Christ a new family is possible, uh, a new family from very different backgrounds is possible because of what Christ has done. Today we're focusing on our emotional health or interior examination value and what does it mean to look beneath the surface of our own lives. And so we're going to be in Psalm chapter 22. Psalm 22, we'll look at verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump over to verses 11 and verses through verses 14. Uh, but hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 22, beginning of verse 1, it says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? 
My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Verse 11. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Let's pray. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we would receive every gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, if if you don't open our eyes, we can't open them. And so would you give us that gift today? We pray these things in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Six years ago, I took my daughter, Karis, who was six years old at the time, to see this movie called Inside Out. Inside Out. A wonderful movie. And it's hard to believe that it came out six years ago. How is this possible? The story is focused on an 11-year-old girl named Riley who has suffered the trauma of having to leave Minnesota and relocate to San Francisco with her family. And we get to see throughout the course of the movie what's happening inside her brain and how the various emotions are interacting with one another. In her mind and in her head, we see the five primary emotions of joy and disgust and uh, fear and uh, sadness and anger. And what the movie does so incredibly well as it shows us that to live fully human lives requires us to integrate everything inside of us. That the integration of our emotional world is really important to live a fully human existence. And in order to live this inside-out life, it means that we must intentionally look beneath the surface and prayerfully hold together the various parts of our lives. And so when you watch this movie, and when I've watched this movie, I realized beyond it just being a good movie and, and was funny and all that, there was lots of connections to the Bible. And that's what I want to unpack for us today and what this movie really demonstrates for us. That the degree to which we uh, uh, integrate what's happening beneath the surface of our lives will determine the degree to which we live like Jesus. The degree to which we integrate and hold together the various aspects, the various emotions of our lives is the degree to which we will live like Jesus. That the purpose of being a Christian is to have the life of Christ formed in us. That is the goal of our lives, not simply to go to heaven, not just forgiveness of sins, but to have the very life of Jesus Christ forming our very lives. And so what we're going to see in this passage today and the big kind of theological thought is that Jesus wants to transform all of our lives, especially our inner life. Now, last week I touched on a theological truth pertaining to the gospel that I said, and as Pastor Kate mentioned in worship, that the gospel is not just a bridge that gets us to God. The gospel is a sledgehammer that tears down walls that separate us. Uh, For our purposes today, I want to offer another theological truth that's really important, that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully human. Amen. He's fully God. He's fully human. And because he's fully God and fully human, he, that, this, this is a truth that is important for what it means to be human. To be fully God, Jesus reveals to us what God is like. And in his fully humanness, he reveals to us ourselves. He reveals to us God, and he reveals to us our 
themselves. And yet, this is the challenge to live this out. Because in our culture and in our homes and in our churches, we have had difficulty navigating our souls, navigating the emotional parts of our lives. We live in a very confused culture that often does not know how to navigate in very uh, whole ways our interior life, our emotional world. And so across various cultures, we have all these mixed messages that it is permissible and expected for women, for example, to feel sad, but it is not permissible or accepted for women to be angry. That it is permissible and accepted for men to be angry, but it is not permissible or accepted for men to be sad. We grew up in an environment that says that big boys don't cry. And as a result, we have a hard time navigating our interior world. Beyond just our culture, we come from families that have prohibited us from feeling certain things. All of us in this room, all of us watching online have come from households in which certain emotions are okay to express. And then there's other emotions that you better not express. You better keep that to yourself. And so we make all, we're formed by our culture, we're formed by our family, and of course we're formed by church culture. We're formed by how we have come to read the Bible, that we've received often bad theology about what we're supposed to do with our emotions and how we're supposed to integrate all of our interior lives and worship before God. We've heard bad theology that has taught that to be depressed is a sin. And we hear this in different ways and in different ways. And so the Bible verse, to respond to this, there's only one Bible verse, it seems, often that people preach about or people uh, try to share about, and it's Philippians 4.4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And that becomes the only Bible verse that people quote when someone's feeling depressed. Forgetting that there is an entire book called Lamentations. And so what is it? Is it rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Or is it, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is yes. We're, we are to hold these truths in dynamic tension with one another. And so at New Life Fellowship, over many, many years, we have come back to this foundational truth that was articulated by our founding pastor, Pete Scazzaro. That the truth that spiritual health and emotional health are inseparable. That is, it is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's one of the foundational truths of New Life Fellowship Church. And what this statement essentially is saying is that you can have all the Bible knowledge in your head. But if you do not know how to navigate your sadness, your grief, your anger, it's not an indication of your spiritual maturity, but of our spiritual immaturity. That we can go to church every single week and volunteer and give, but if we do not know how to navigate the interior of our lives, it's not an indication of our spiritual maturity, but of our spiritual immaturity. And so like this movie, Inside Out, which is essentially about how our emotional worlds are to be integrated, we see the same truth throughout the pages of the Bible, particularly in the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms shows us, gives us a picture of what it means to hold on to every part of our lives. We get the full 
human experience in the book of Psalms, and we see it in Psalm 22. The Psalms are the prayer book for the people of God. And we desperately need the Psalms. We need to pray the Psalms on a regular basis because more than anything, it it reminds us that God gives us permission to be human. This is what the Psalms does when you read it. It reminds us that God gives us permission to be human. God does not censor the psalmist. And we do not see God deleting or erasing stuff that David wrote after David said it. Could you imagine the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is uh, putting the, the, the Bible together through people, that somebody reads it and the Lord could have said, you know, get rid of that one and get rid of that one and get rid of that one. No, but, but God gives us the full expression of humanity. God does not censor David nor any other psalmist. Is as if God is saying, I'm giving you permission to be human. Now, it's important to say, just parenthetically, that when we read the book of Psalms, it's important to know that just because David said it, doesn't mean that God approves it. Just because the Bible recorded it, doesn't mean God recommends it. For example, there are places in the Bible where where someone says, and smash their children's children. And, and some of us might want to pray that, and, and, and we're so angry and all that. But just because the Bible records it doesn't mean the Bible recommends it. How do, we, how do we discern the difference? Well, we look to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, is the interpretive lens for the rest of the Bible. And so when, when we see uh, David giving expression and giving articulation to all kinds of crazy thoughts... We are to hold it together with Jesus. And yet, it's important to note that God allows these words to fill the pages of Holy Scripture. And what we find in the book of Psalms, and in Psalm 22 in particular, is David having the freedom and the capacity and the dexterity to hold together three foundational difficult emotions of sadness, of anger, and fear. Three difficult emotions that many of us have a difficult time holding together. And it's important that I say difficult. These are not negative emotions. These are difficult emotions. Emotions are not negative. Emotions is just what it means to be human. But they're difficult. How do we navigate this world of fear, sadness, and anger? What we see is David as a model for us. In Psalm 22, verse 1, David begins by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Have you ever felt that way before? God, where in the world are you? God, why have you not intervened in my life? And what we find here is David expressing his grief, David expressing his sorrow before God. And one of of the most difficult things to confess, especially in many church settings, is our grief, is our sadness, our disorientation. Many of us, we have a hard time with this for a number of reasons. For some of us, it's our personality. I have a 
crazy optimistic personality. I do. Now, it's optimism for me, from my wife Rosie, it's, it's denial. It's denial. And so, I, I ha, you know, it's all bad, but I'm just like, but, but, this is, but look at this here. There's a silver lining. And, 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 and in one sense, it's optimism. And in another sense, it, it's total denial. And I recognize that. And so for me, I often have a difficult time with sadness because I have this, this personality of I, I, everything. This, there's always a, a bright side of a situation, and let's hold on to it. And so uh, that's for me. And I imagine there's some of us in this room as well, and some of us watching online. For some of us, we have a hard time with sadness, not just because of our personality, but because of the families we came from. For some of us, we were not given the space to be sad. We were not given the space to articulate and feel the feelings of hurt. And to have someone sit with us in our hurt and sit with us in our sadness. What often happens is, because we are so uncomfortable with something like sadness and grief, we, 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 we don't allow others to feel their grief and sadness. To some degree, all of us have had the experience where we're riding on a bike, learning how to ride, and we fall off the bike, and we skin our knee. And our parent or caregiver comes over to us, and you're screaming, ah, that hurt. And they say to you, you're okay. It's not a question. It's a statement. It's not, are you okay? It's, you're okay. And I'm just like, no, I'm not. But we've come from families in which certain emotions like sadness have not been permitted. And there's no space at all for anyone to sit with me in my grief. But beyond just, again, our culture and our families or our personalities, we come from often church cultures where we've been taught to express or experience sadness or sorrow is a sign that we have immature faith. And so in many contexts, to be sad, to have sorrow, to have depression is so frowned upon, which, which is why at New Life Fellowship, we've worked hard over many, many years to hold our sadness, to grieve our losses, to hold on to our pain, and to lift it up to God. And yet what happens is because of the messages that we've received from childhood and all the way throughout church experiences, we take those things into our adulthood. And we do not know how to grieve our losses or feel our pain whenever something comes our way. And so you lose a job. You lose a relationship. You lose your health. You lose your hair. I wasn't always like this. I had curls at one point, and every morning I look in the mirror, and I'm just so sad. I'm just, uh, I'm just so sad. But because if you have been formed by a family and by a church and by a, a particular personality, that to feel grief and feel sadness is somehow less than spiritual, we end up doing what most people do. We end up lying. I remember being in a conversation with someone about sadness and their inability to hold on to it and living their entire lives lying, refusing to be honest about the grief 
putting a smile when there is deep pain beneath the surface. And so the invitation for us as we think about sadness is, what are we to do with it? And I think the invitation is simple. I think there are two questions and a practice that we are invited to when we experience sadness. And the, and the first question is, what is the issue beneath my sadness? It's often that we never get to this point of discerning what is the issue? What might God be saying in my sadness? And then how do I now pray my sadness? We often wait to pray until we're feeling really happy, joyful thoughts. And then we go, you know, this is a good time to pray. But the best time to pray is not when you're feeling all the happy thoughts. Sometimes the best time to pray is when you're grieving. And so you pray your sadness. We see this with David, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But David moves on and we see other difficult emotions that David holds on to. It's not just sadness that David holds on to and that we are to hold on to. It's also anger. Anger. What we don't get in the Psalms is the tone. It's hard to read tone. It's hard to understand cadence. But, but you could see how Psalm, how Psalm 22, 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, can either be articulated in, in a sound of sadness or in a sound of great anger. Why have you abandoned me like this? Where are you? And I think both whether sadness or whether anger is appropriate because we see in many other places in the book of Psalms, David experiencing and expressing anger before God. Why have you forsaken me? And again, whenever these feelings of anger come our way or we think about it, we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions. How did our families do anger? And what's the teaching that we've received about anger? Some of us have grown up in a home in which anger was not permitted. And so one day you came home from school and you were very angry about something and, and maybe middle school or high school and, and you came in and you opened the door and, and, and mom or dad said, hey, how you doing? And, and you just said, leave me alone and you slammed the door. And at that moment, what you heard was, who do you think you are slamming my doors? As opposed to what's going on? What's happening? Any feeling of explosion or anger was not permitted. And many of us have grown up in homes like this where we could not give expression to our anger. What complicates it is there are many Bibles of verses that talk about anger. And these are the only verses that we tend to look at. Ephesians 4 says, get rid of all anger. Ephesians 4.26 says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. That's in the Bible. We need to hold on to these verses. At the same time, these two verses don't tell the full story about anger. And so we need to hold on to it as well as hold on to another truth about anger. And we have to be clear about a few things. Lots of the anger that we experience often is sin. And our anger many times is not righteous. It's not a righteous anger. Our anger often has to do with our shame, our insecurities, our pride. And so what these verses are not saying are don't feel your anger. 
But don't allow your anger to so drive you. Which is why Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry, but do not sin. Hear the command. Be angry. That's not like a suggestion. There's certain things to be angry about. But in your anger, do not sin. Now, for some of us, the word of the Lord is you, your anger, your, your ability to be truthful and honest about what's really happening. You're, you're getting the freedom now to, to, give, to be more human, that it's okay to be angry and to feel that anger. And on one side of the spectrum, some of us, we need that word. For others of us, we have no problem being angry. It's, a, it's like a spiritual gift for some of us. I mean, we're really, we're really good at it. And so the invitation for some of us who are on the other end of the spectrum where you don't need a Bible verse like this, it just flows through you. The questions are the same. What is happening? What's the issue beneath my anger? What is God trying to say to me in my anger? And pray my anger. Many of us go, how can I pray my anger? God allows us to pray our anger. God gives us permission to pray our anger. Again, God is not waiting for until our words are so holy and sanctified and these and thou's and multisyllabic words before God goes, oh, that's, a, that's the kind of prayer I was listening or waiting for. No, God says, pray your anger. Lift mind and heart to God. And so listen to David. David is experiencing sadness. David is experiencing anger. And then David experiences fear. And I wonder, which of these do you really struggle with? Struggle with allowing yourself to feel and allowing yourself to express. David has an issue with fear as well. Verse 14, do not be far from me for, my, for trouble is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. David is very clearly afraid. And he's able to give voice to the anxiety that he is experiencing. And yet, this is something that's so difficult for us in many different contexts. The invitation to acknowledge our fears and give expression to it. I spoke to a woman recently who was experiencing a, a battle with cancer. And I was talking to her about how normal it is to be afraid in this moment. And she responded that she was taught that to confess fear meant that God would see this as lacking faith. And as a result, God would not be pleased with her because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hear the domino effect of these. Faith is over here. Fear is the opposite of faith. Therefore, I must get rid of all kinds of fear, feeling it, giving expression, expression to it, because I want to please God. And I cannot have faith and fear at the same time. This is destructive. And we live less than fully human lives. Now, what complicates this is 
The Bible says, many times, do not fear. Some have said, I haven't verified this, that this. It says, do not fear 365 times in the Bible, one for every day. That sounds pretty nice. But when God tells the people of God, do not fear, God is not saying not to feel fear. Fear is not a sign of spiritual weakness. It's a sign of being human. What God is saying is, do not fear, I'm with you. Turn your eyes upward, for I am with you. And that's what God is saying to us today. If you're feeling anxiety, if you're feeling sadness, if you're feeling anger, the Lord is not saying, don't feel these feelings, but turn your eyes towards me, for I am with you. And so, what is beneath my fear? That's the question. What is God trying to say to me through my fear? And then, as crazy as this sounds, pray your fears. Lift mind and heart to God. Now, when I think about all these sadness, anger, fear, and, and, and holding it before God, this really leads me to asking a very simple question. What does it mean to be an emotionally healthy community? And if I could narrow all this down in four statements, this is what I would say. That to be part of New Life Fellowship Church, to be part of this community means, first of all, that we grow in naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. That this is part of the spiritual life. That this is part of discipleship. That this is part of our spiritual formation. That we grow in naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. Secondly, that we grow in praying our feelings. That we don't wait until we're feeling all holy and stuff to start praying. But that every given moment of our day is an opportunity to communicate with God. And whether it's through sadness or anger or fear or joy, we grow in praying our feelings. Third, and this is in many respects the end, the goal. We grow in our capacity to be present to others and their feelings. The reason we feel our feelings is not just so that we can grow in greater self-awareness. It's not just so that we can grow in greater self-actualization. It's not so that we could just navel-gaze our entire lives. The reason why we are to pay attention to our feelings, the difficult feelings, is so that we can be lovingly present to others. So that when someone comes your way and they're experiencing tremendous grief and sadness, we become a good gift to them. When we have done the work of navigating our own grief and our own sadness. And when you've tasted your own grief and your own sadness, all of the expiration dates that we put on other people's grief and sadness seems to go away. There's usually an ex we, there's only so much time that goes by before we say, all right, you can stop being sad now. It's been two months. Shape up. Let's go to church. Praise the Lord. Rejoice. Let's get out of this. But when you feel your own sadness and allow yourself to grieve the losses, it allows us to be pre fully present. The problem in this pandemic, brothers and sisters, why is there such a lack of empathy? We just want to move on. But 700,000 people have died. 
And we could just move on. And I'm glad we're worshiping. It's much better to do this than to preach to a camera. I'm so happy we're worshiping and we're lifting mind and heart to God. But there are people who are suffering. And we are to identify our own sadness so that we could enter into the space of others. Many of our congregation right now are still grieving. Having lost loved ones. Having lost what was familiar. And so we are to pay attention to our sadness, our anger, our fear. Not just so that we could have a good relationship with God, but that we could love well. And be lovingly present to those who are experiencing grief and anger and fear. To do this is not just emotional health for the sake of emotional health. It's love. I want to be present to you. I want to be a good gift to you. And fourthly, we grow in discerning. Why, what does it mean to be an emotionally healthy community? We grow in discerning the deeper message behind our emotions. That there's so many, why are you so, so many times when, I, when, when fear hits me, I have to ask a very simple question. What is this about? Why, why is it, I see an email from someone, and, and I haven't even read the email. Can anybody re- understand this? And you, you just see the person's name, amen, and it's just like, oh, no. What's this all about, Lord? What's the messages behind my fear? What are you trying to say to my sadness? What are you trying to say in my anger? Now, what I want you to do, I want to close with this here. What, we've, what we learn in Psalm 22 is, is David holds all of this together. But what's beautiful about Psalm 22 is that Psalm 22 in the larger story of Scripture is not just about David. Psalm 22 is also on the lips of someone else. Psalm 22 is the prayer that Jesus, our Lord, prays while he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We often see Jesus as God, the fully God, but, and he is. He's Savior. He's Healer. He's Redeemer. He's Alpha and Omega. He's beginning and end. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's God. And... He's human. He knows what it's like to feel sadness. He's the man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. He's one who demonstrates righteous anger. He's the one who experiences fear at the Garden of Gethsemane as he's about to go to the cross. He says, Father, if there is another way, can we do it? Hear the fear in those words from our Lord. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Now, what I love in Psalm 22, and this is a principle of the Bible, that whenever you see in the New Testament, Jesus quoting a psalm, what he's getting at is he's really keeping in mind the entirety of the psalm. 
And so Jesus, when he was on the cross, he was not just thinking, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The story of Jesus and the story of Christian salvation does not end with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Bible uh, in Psalm 22 ends with celebration. It ends with joy. And this is what I want you to hold on to. Psalm 22 ends with joy and rejoicing. But joy is so connected to anger and fear and sadness, which is to say, if you cut out part of who you are, it'll compromise joy. To cut off sadness is to compromise joy. To cut off fear is to compromise joy. To cut off anger is to compromise joy. You can't cut one part of your life off without compromising the rest. And yet what we find in our Lord Jesus Christ As he begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet it ends with praise and with salvation and with rejoicing. Verse 19, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions. Save me from the horns of wild oxen. This is what Jesus, I believe, is thinking as he's on the cross. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. Declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Amen. The Christian salvation story does not end with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The end of the Christian story ends with, he has done it. Done what? Rescued us. Done what? Provided for us. Done what? Saved us. Done what? Forgiven us. Done what? Poured out mercy on us. He has done it. And so we rejoice. And we hold before the Lord our praise. But see the trajectory of the Bible. Jesus in his body holds together all of the grief and all of the sadness and anxiety and fear and anger and all the rest. But the story ends with joy. And that's my hope for you. Pastor Kate, you can come up. That's my hope for you. God longs for you to live with deep joy. Deep abiding joy. But the way to joy is not through cutting off our sadness. The way to true joy is not by cutting off ourselves from our fear and our anger. It's often that that is the way to joy. As we are fully honest with ourselves and as we hold together these difficult emotions, we position ourselves for the God who is with us, for the God who has accomplished it all, 
for the God who has done it. The question is, are you living a fully human life? Or have you somehow cut off parts of yourselves? To follow Jesus is to become whole, to become a whole person. And one of the ways that we become whole is by holding all of this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the ways you make us whole, the ways you put us together in a world that increasingly seeks to fragment us. You are the one who puts us together into wholeness. And so, this emotional health value, Lord, is, is not just about looking within and identifying certain things. It's about living a whole life, living the Jesus life. And so, Lord, hold us together. We, we sing to you now. Even as we think about our sadness and the things that are causing us grief, even as we think about fear and the ways that we are often so stuck by anxiety, the anger that is so deep in our souls that we've never given expression to, Lord, we hold them before you and we sing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing together. Something has to break. Something has to break. Right now in your name. Something has to break. Something has to break. Something has to break. Right now in your name. Something has to break. I believe. I believe you'll lead me through it. I believe you'll get me to it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to break. I believe you'll lead me through it. I believe you'll get me to it. I believe that you will do it right now. Something has to break. I believe you'll lead me. I believe you'll get me to it. I believe that you will do it right now. I feel it in this room. Holy Spirit, move. Cause when you have your way, something has to break. Tear down every
what needs to break in the name of Jesus is the less than human lives that we've lived. So a great way to close our gathering is just through prayer. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. I imagine that many of us in this room, many of us watching online, there is much to be sad about, much to be angry about, much to be afraid about. And we could either cut ourselves off that and, and refuse to acknowledge it, or we can hold it before the living God and hold it before one another. My hope this week is that little by little we would be able to lift up all of these things to God and then find, by God's grace, the space to share it with another that we would be a good gift to each other as we hear and give expression to our fears and anxieties and sadness and grief and anger and that we find spaces where that can be held. That's why we are a community. We're not just here to sing together on Sundays and go home. We're here to be a community in which our lives are so connected to one another that there's a space that when you're feeling sadness and grief and anger, there's a space where someone can hold it with you that you're not alone in your journey. And one of the ways that we just begin to do that is by receiving prayer. And so at the end of our service, I'm going to bless you and uh, our prayer team will be here. Uh, we're not going to have a sermon discussion. We mentioned for five weeks we're not having a sermon discussion time after our service. But if you're watching online or even if you're in this room here, God loves you with an eternal love and invites you to follow him, to follow Jesus, to receive life, to receive his salvation, his forgiveness. And some of you, maybe you've come to church, but you've never said yes to Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Whether you come forward to help, uh, to ask someone for help in making this decision, it could be something simple as, Lord, I want to follow you and allowing us to help you along your own spiritual journey. Whether you text, you're watching online or in here, you, you text this phrase, yes to Jesus, to this number 718-424-0122, 718-424-0122. Maybe you just need to talk to someone because you sense God is calling you by name. And we want to serve you along those lines. As we close our service, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. If you're new to our congregation, I'd love to uh, see you at the end of our service. If, if I haven't seen you in a long time, like uh, you, Jenny, and Chris up here, I, I'd love to just see you uh, in from out of town and any others that are here. I'd love to just see you uh, and greet you on your, your way out. But let me, let me bless you with your hands in this posture of receiving. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, being empowered to live a fully human life, a life that looks like Jesus. 
And as you look within, know that God goes with you. And know that he can pull you out of the deepest, darkest abyss that you find yourself in. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the very human name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.